This is David from the Much Love family. I just wanted to give you a heads up that we were having some technical issues during this session. I hope you can understand. Much love. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Much Love with Kaoki, part of the Much Love family. My name is David, and the true talent of the show, the man across from me, Kaoki. I wanted this episode to be part of a series of foundations from rocky to solid, going from insecurities to families, and I'm sure plenty of tangents in between. So I I, I started thinking about this episode and, and I, I titled it in my mind about perseverance, kind of in the face of insecurities of, of fitting in, struggling, you know, putting one foot in front of the other instead of giving up and kind of pushing through. So you know, we've we've mentioned it before, and and for me, one of my big struggles was was drugs, and you know it goes back. So for me, my my struggles really started with youth and acceptance. You know, I I I had I've always been short, <laughs> and I've always been overweight, so I always had trouble fitting in, and and really. Drugs were the first time that I felt like I fit in. It, it was getting in with the cool kids and, you know, being being part of that. So f- for you, what insecurities did, did you have, you know, about fitting in? I know moving al- around a lot must have been, you know, real difficult. So, so you know, again, for me, it was an aesthetic. It, it was how I looked and... and that I always felt kept me from being part of the cool kids. You know, what, what was it for you? I, well, it was, it was a lot, a lot, lot of that, you know, a lot of aesthetic, um, but also the movie, you know, because my father was military, so I was born in Hawaii, then we went to Germany, from Germany to Texas, Texas to Panama, Panama to Hawaii, and moving from one place to another, you're jumping from one culture to another culture to another culture, and... Um, the kids in each one of those places, the kids in Germany, the kids in um, uh, out in Texas, and the kids in uh, Panama, the kids in Hawaii, even the kids in Hawaii, they all dress and act different. You know what I mean? And yeah. um, so for us to have to be able to jump from one world to the other was really difficult. And um, you, you, all, you felt insecure everywhere you went because you had to start over. Every three years, three to four years... And for all of my military brats out there, we know how it goes. It's just uh, how it goes. Have it, go. Having to be a chameleon. Yeah, you had to be a chameleon, but you, you had to you had to make friendships. But emotionally, you couldn't get too deep in your friendships because you knew you were going to leave. So uh, it, it was a very deep emotional thing too, because you couldn't one hundred percent dive into people and make that that lifelong friend because you knew that. Was gonna was gonna disappear. Like either they were gonna go, you were gonna go. Something was gonna happen. Um, your families would always move, military and everything. And then, like I said, dressing culture. You know what was going on. You know, I was I was a eighties nineties kid. You know what I mean? So you're talking everything from different uh, styles of, of dress, uh, from hairstyles to different things. And each part of the <laughs> nation, each part of the world, even themselves had their own. You know, from girls back in the days with the the um, you know the um the uh hair nets and, and my sisters spraying tons of hairspray and mousse on their hair trying to get the new hairstyle that was going in the next neighborhood. You know, one neighborhood, 
they had they wore baggy pants. The next neighborhood they didn't, you know. Some people were more uh, hip hop influenced. Some were more rock and roll, southerners. Some were different stuff. So Texas definitely different from uh, Germany, you know. And then Panama being a third world country, it was that. And then on top of that, my parents were, you know, the typical '80s parents, um, but they were um, uh, alcoholics. You know, my, my dad was a very extreme alcoholic. And then um, uh, my, my parents were also on cocaine and other drugs and stuff like that. And so when we eventually came home to Hawaii, like the big, I think the biggest influence was when we came home to Hawaii, the biggest insecurities were Hawaii because we were like, we were always different. Like coming out to the States, going to Germany, things, I mean, we're Hawaiian, we're, we're brown skin. Um, we look Hispanic kind of thing. People don't know what we are because <laughs> our features were different. So physically, they were like, okay, who are these kids? The parents, you know, they're like, these kids are different. We're, we don't look like the kids in the neighborhood. We don't look like the kids that are around us. We tried to get along with the other foreigners or people who weren't quite American, you know, but still, even we weren't even accepted into their crowd because we didn't speak Spanish. You know, a lot of the other kids thought we were Hispanic. The Hispanics knew we weren't Hispanic, you know what I mean? And <laughs> that, that miscellaneous crowd that nobody quite knew what you were you know and we were raised with my dad always being hawaiian you know where like you're hawaiian you're hawaiian you're hawaiian we're american and then when we got home to hawaii the hawaiians didn't accept us because the hawaiians were like no you're raised like white people you're white you're you're not hawaiian and they're like wait, wait like our whole life we've been told that we weren't we didn't fit in because we were Hawaiian and we were different. It's so cool. So we got home to Hawaii and then we were outcasted in Hawaii because we didn't fit in because I spoke straight English. I didn't speak broad out of kind cause PG and a lot of that. You know what I mean? I wasn't Hawaiian enough for them. So we were in this extremely lost crowd. You know, we, we looked like people. We, we never got along with anybody. I, I we, we acted and walked and talked different culturally from other cultures when we were out. And then when we got to Hawaii, then we, apparently we weren't even their culture either. And we were, we were outcasted. And then my parents got into crystal meth. And then we ended up homeless. And then because we were the homeless kids, we were the kids that were the kids of homeless and druggies. So we were the outcast again because nobody wanted to hang out with the homeless kids. We didn't have the nice clothes that everybody had. Uh, in fact, right. sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I was just say I, I was just agreeing. Yeah, I, I, I think that that for you and, and I, I take it for granted that you know I, I'm, I'm white or you know as I, I always had dark skin, so I they always thought I was Hispanic, but I, I I'm white and. and was around white kids so that that was never um well i you know what now that i say that so you know I, i'm jewish so there there was that Ooh, cultural yeah. that cultural separation so that right. there, there was the you are different from us and right. but I, I i did have a I, I did have a group of people that we had that same background so I wasn't as as ostracized as you because wherever you went, you weren't who you really were. So I mean that that must have been really traumatic as a child. I mean not 
you know, for, for me, again, it was the aesthetic and it, in a way it almost, it's very superficial. I mean, it literally is superficial. And for you, it, it's, it's cultural. It, it's this whole lack of acceptance, you know, and you had to experience it every step of the way. And every three years you had to experience it. That's, that's really rough. And, for you to get to where you are both inside and out, you know, that that's a testament to you, to your, you know, the intestinal fortitude that you have. So, I mean, it, it is a good topic of perseverance because you had to deal with these insecurities and not fitting in. And you, you could have, you know, if you will, rocked the same grunge t-shirts, but, you know, the, there was still that, that outcast mentality. Um, and, and you know, that, that, that gets back in my mind to the thing that connected me was the drug use. So I, that was right. a way that I connected with others and, and with, with your family, I, you know, I, I think it can go, you know, it, it can go one of two ways, either because your family's in it, you get into it or because your family's in it, you stay away from it. So when you were going through those struggles of, of being insecure, how did, how did you, you know, navigate that? Did you get caught up in it for, you know, at all? Or was it, no, my family, I see what it does to my family and I'm not going to go down that path. Yeah, I think it was it was a it was a big thing about understanding like that not just yeah learning to adjust because like for us it was like I always had to learn to adjust to the crowd around me. So I was always like hyper aware of everything that was going on, like what, what made them happy, what everything went. But um <clears throat> with my parents doing drugs, uh that was a way for me to never touch drugs. Um I was just always watching what my parents went through. I watched how they treat us when they were doing drugs. I watched the difference when my parents were sober and then when they um, when they were under the influence. So I've seen so much watching my parents, and um, that just that just kind of turned off that whole um, uh, how would you say that that whole side for me. So the drugs was never it. I just would always try to find a crowd that I could, I guess I would have to learn to adjust to because I had to learn everything about them, but they never learned anything about me. But I was always the guy that had to learn the crowd that you were in next because you had to know how to fit in. So as you found similarities with people and you tried to get into their what, what kind of music they listen to, what kind of uh, dance that they do, the different things that kids would do to connect, and I would have to lean on those, I think. But through doing that, I learned how to connect to different people. And so through that, I think um, I ended up, we were ended up when we were in high school, very, like I said, where everything had hit the most when we got to Hawaii. Yeah, we were banished as Hawaiians, and and then the Hawaiians had uh, looked at us different. But um, uh, we uh, we got pushed to the basically the outskirts. So we hung around the miscreants. You know, nobody in school. Wanted, I guess I, I used to laugh and tell a lot of people the jokes that when I was uh, uh, growing up in high school, like I was 
extremely well known, but I was not popular, if that makes sense. No, like, absolutely. Yeah, so I wasn't the kid that people would come around and be like, oh, go hang out with him at lunch and this and that. But everybody knew who I was because I was the one kid that would say hi to everybody. I was the one kid that would always come in with somewhat of a positive energy. But because we didn't dress with the latest fashions because my parents didn't have money because I never had a new backpack, new shoes. And I was always the kid back in the nineties, you know, we had that one thing in school that kids don't have anymore. It's called paper, you know, and, um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and we had pencils, you know, that where I was a half pencil, I would lose it, you know, but that was back in high school, you know, back in school. But, um, uh, we didn't have that. So we got pushed to the outskirts. To, of school to the corners behind the buildings where the smokers and the drug addicts would um, would go hang out. But the one thing about those kids is that it was, we found out that they were just an emotional crowd of kids that were way more emotional because the world wasn't catering to them. You know, their parents were drug addicts and they kind of had to learn to survive on their own. But they dove into other things. Um, one of the things that my friends dove into was music, um, which was what really kept me around that crowd. And I think music was the connection that I had with my friends was that my friends would come every day. And, you know, in Hawaii, ukuleles were a, uh, a small instrument so we could all carry to school. So we'd do that. And the guys, I would just watch them. And I'd hang out with this crowd because that's the only crowd that really accepted us. But I would sit there and watch them play music and watch them sing. And you can feel the emotion that came from them while they were doing that. And, dude, that's what got me connected with them and then my other thing that i connected to in high school was rotc rotc oh. was, was a big thing for me yeah i ended up uh on because the, the military team. background that makes sense yeah so military background i obviously led towards a military structure in life and there's still a camaraderie and a connection that even though my parents were drug addicts like my dad and his soldiers that he was with stationed in the military they did have a camaraderie with each other that is just commendable i mean the military and how they build families out of people who aren't aren't even from the same countries is just unbelievable so i went to rtc straight in because that's the one place i knew anything and um from there we became a part of the drill team i spun rifles with the one high school drill team uh ended up starting the first drill team ever in our high school uh and of which oh. later on eventually my uh, my brothers and sisters would join the drill team also and my brothers and sisters would bring our first state championships to our high school and so on and so forth but this that became our family the military the rtc became our 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 my big family i mean i have my miscreant families <laughs> <It's good. You laughs> <know? laughs> i mean we all had to have some of those somewhere in life you know and especially right. the 80, 80s and 90s kids we always had friends that were just the rebels to society you know and uh we hung out with them too to have some fun times and those were the guys that i hung out with good friends but RTC really kept me in a good state of mind also. Those are kind of things I dove into to deal with my insecurities. Was the ROTC any different? So I remember you talking in another episode about the Hawaiian Guard, kind of, uh, the Royal... Um, right, right, the Hawaii Kings Guard, Hawaii State Kings Guard, yes. Yeah, so was the ROTC at all tied to that? Did they have no, like no. a special, you know... Um, was there an ROTC for that? 
No, no, no. There was just a, a a drill team, which was which basically the Hawaii State Kings Guard was an exhibition drill team for the state of Hawaii, and um, the, our high school just had an exhibition drill team in the RTC program. And uh, later on, if if you were good enough, you can go and try out for the Hawaii State Kings Guard um, and then join the guard. That was like a private organization that you can oh. do, but. We kind of looked up to them because they originally started off as the guard of Hawaii at the uh, Iolani Palace over in Hawaii. And then they eventually became an exhibition drill team in the 1970s. But it was something that we dove into where we became a family. And, and I guess that's what it is. Like, like, you know, with your insecurities, like how you were talking about, it was just about us trying to find family. Right. Anybody who would accept us for, let's say, what, what, what we're going through, anybody who elated to what we were going through and, and you or you could find a connection with anybody, you know, and um, the, the, the miscreant crowd and their music and their emotional connection to everything. I mean, I, we never really got into the rebellious stuff. Like I said, I didn't because I, I already watched my parents do it. My, you know, all right. my friends in that crowd were drinking at like 14 years old. We're getting, they're getting punched drunk and stoned off their trees and stuff. I just, I saw it enough in my dad and my mom and growing up, I never wanted to touch it. You know, it was something like, I just knew what it turns you into kind of, I guess, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, um, I I didn't have, yeah, I mean, I I didn't, I didn't have that. You know, my, my parents were, were fairly straight laced. I mean, at least what I saw at that age, you know, it turns out that, you know, they had, their demons as well, but no, it was it was a it was part rebellion. But I I didn't see the I I, I didn't see the depths of where it could take you. And, and then mm. once you get into it, you you right. never see the depths. You're you're just caught in the wave. You you never get to see how far out from land you actually are until it's too right. late. Yeah, well, it just it just hurts. I I know from a, a family member looking, you know, just looking at my parents going through that, it really emotionally struck us, and I was just old enough to understand it. I mean, as as a child, not to not to really necessarily really understand the drug part of it, but to understand the emotions and the ups and downs that it put us through, and that that's where where it clicked for me. What mu- you know, we you touched on music. What kind of music were were you into at that age? <clears throat> oh man, uh, uh, in Hawaii, reggae music is everything. Reggae music is the the feel good soul music that just it helps you to pour out. You can sing about your hardest and worst emotions, your breakups, your everything, but you can dance to it. It's something about reggae that can take the deepest emotions that make you cry and just makes you want to sing out and dance to it. It's kind of different because, like, I came out to the States. You listen to country music, and it can get, you know, it gets pretty sad. They sing about all their, their things that they, you know, like they say, uh, every cowboy likes to sing uh, sing his songs backwards because he gets the truck back, he gets the girl back, and he gets the dog back. You know? <laughs> That's <laughs> but, funny. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was, you can feel the emotion. You felt the depression versus us, the reggae. Reggae makes you sing and, and you, you express your emotion, but in a positive way to kind of get through it, to understand that this is life. Like I, I, I lost my heart, but I can, I can come out there and I can sing to it and we can dance and, and we skank. Skanking is a, is a type of like, a, almost like a rhythmic dance that you do with, with reggae. And that's just what we did. So reggae really... And, and and 
it was a, as an upbeat sound. So it kept you right. in a positive mode, you know? And so it was always great. Did you get into ska music? Ska was pretty cool. Ska was a, a little bit more aggressive for us, you know, because you got to talk like, right, we, we were in high school in the 90s. You, you're talking like, you know, I grew up in elementary school listening to the whole Metallica, Megadeth, Slayer, you know, Anthrax, you know, <laughs> you know the good old Hard, mellow Hardcore stuff, you know? shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To us, we, we think that's hardcore. And you listen to the, like the slam metal and the crazy stuff they have now, like they turned it up like a million times. But, um, yeah. you know, so listen to that and then coming through the aggressive state, it's like, we were emotional, which, which is, this is, this is the positive side, I guess, of the insecurities and the isolation of the life that I went through. I, we didn't have TV growing up. We didn't have, cause we were homeless. We, we lived, we went to the beach and you sat at the beach and we got home and we knew we had to do our homework quick because you can go out and swim in the ocean, even though we were living on the beach. My dad still had responsibilities. My dad used to tell us we're homeless, we're not hopeless. You know what I mean? So yeah. my dad used to tell us that. So my dad said, you come home every day. You still do your chores. We'd be the only homeless camp out there raking our leaves up, making sure the, the sand was nice and smooth, making sure our tents were clean. Every, every month, my mom would make us take everything out of our little tents and dust out our, our, our things. And we'd wash our clothes and we'd do everything. Like my dad was like, you're homeless, not hopeless. Like, so... We still did that. So we got home and we would do our homework as fast as we could. So you could still have enough sunlight to go out to the beach and swim. So we would still go to the beach and swim. And so, cause you don't want to swim at night. Sometimes, sometimes it got so dark, you couldn't see anything. And those waves will tear you up. But we, we did all that, but we didn't have the, I would say the, um, the social influence that other people had. Like we would watch and listen to grunge and, and we listened to the whole, the, the green days or the, you know, the, all the stuff like that, that coming out. But we never understood the emotional, uh, I guess, anger that was coming from the kids who were being institutionalized by media. You know what I mean? And all the things that were going on in life. Like we knew of Kurt Cobain dying. We knew of all these things, but we didn't see it on TV every night and every day. It it didn't influence us. So we listened to You didn't to have MTV. No, we didn't. You know, like we had MTV when we were younger, when my dad was in the military. Right. And watch, you know, like uh everybody listened to UMTV raps and you know, and um what was what was the other one? Was uh, uh Headbangers Ball, you know what I mean? Right. We listened 120 to minutes Headbangers Ball. Yeah, yeah, like like news around the world with Kurt Loader. You know what I mean? Like it yep, was like yep. crazy, but we didn't have that constant when we were in high school. So I, I I guess we understood what was going on because our friends are listening to the music, and I would just listen to it. You know, we wear the t-shirts, you know, but we never had the emotional anger that kids had uh, growing up, and I we never connected to that. But it because we were isolated in many ways. You know, we were isolated from a lot of things. But I think that helped me in many ways because I learned to adjust with different crowds. But at the same time, I wasn't influenced emotionally by that crowd. Does that make sense? You know, No, it does. That- yeah, it does. And, and I mean, for me, I didn't get into reggae until much later in life until, you know, college. You know, I was I, I was into the Seattle music scene and the grunge and the that emotional stuff is what what resonated for me. And you know what, I I might've gone, well, you know what, I was going to say I might've gone down a different path if the music I listened to was more upbeat, 
but I I would have still ended up smoking because of reggae. I, I wouldn't have been <laughs> able to avoid it. Right, right. No, well, my friends had it all around us. Don't get me wrong. I, I mean, I think I probably I probably smoked twice in my life just because hung around my friends, influential. You know, we, we all got stoned. And I, I find out, you know, there's, there's several different types of people when they get stoned. Um, my, uh, my girlfriend at the time eventually became my wife. Um, she was the, the giggler, the person that would smoke and then they couldn't stop laughing at mm-hmm. anything. You know, no matter what would happen, they would just look at you and laugh. You know what I mean? I was kind of that guy when I smoked. I just wanted to eat and sleep. That's all. I just wanted to chill and just relax. And I just kind of got into that. I'm going to eat something and then go to sleep. You know, people used to always tell me, like, where the hell did you go? I'm like, I just went to sleep. But I smoked (laughs) twice in my life. And it was with my best friend in high school. And then when I joined the military, the military, they kept us clean from drugs, piss tests and all that stuff like that. And so I never, ever got back. I just experimented with my friends. And I really, tell you the truth, I, the feeling to me was, I guess, it was cool. It was, uh, you know, it was mellow. It was, it was great. But I always had that fear of becoming my parents, you know. And then I guess that combined with the military kind of giving me an excuse not to have it, I just kind of just stayed away from it. You know what I mean? It was kind of one of those things. But, but like I said, I had other vices um, uh, uh, of, of my music and, and partying. At, at a point in time when I was in the military, I drank a lot. But I think that just comes with um, you being young and being forced to give your life for a country and everything like that. Yeah. And they, they kind of, uh, you know, you, as, as all military, we just kind of, when you're, when you're a young kid, you just go out and uh, you overexpress, right? And so... Uh, I was influenced by a lot of my friends in the military, and we drank and drank and drank. And I think right now my <laughs> liver is still mad at me, you know. So, <laughs> yeah, but that's that that sense of of you know the the idea of fitting in and, and tying it to you know a, a family that that's that's not blood. You know, blood is often you know the strongest connection, but you know we can be surprised how close we get. You know, to others when we connect on something deep, something, you know, from our core being. So kind of the idea of you were able to do that in the military, that that must have have freed you from a lot of those insecurities because you were now part of a clique. You were now I mean, I, I imagine in in the military there are still cliques. There are still the cool guys, there's still the the right, right. guys and yes. but you, you're you're closer knit than you were to kids in high school i imagine right and i think the military taught me something that was very very important and that it was like um when people come together for a purpose then that's when you find true unity because yeah they were clicks you know you got out you got off let's say you got off work you know, the, the African-Americans hung out with them guys. The Hispanics hung out with those guys. The white guys hung out with their guys. And everybody segregated. They just separated and did their own thing. But when we, all wow. put that uni- when we all put that uniform on and we go to a battlefield, it is only us. So we learned to understand that our differences are just that. But when we come together for a purpose, like I trust that guy 200% with my life. And you learn to understand outside of the differences. You know what I mean? That differences, it's everything in life, we're always going to have differences with people. But how do we all come together? And that was a big thing. And I think that's something I loved out of the military was it taught me to find a purpose. And when you can find people who are different, that's fine. 
But then where can I find a commonality, a common direction and a common purpose? And how do we unite these people? Because when we go on that battlefield, I tell you what, we wear that same uniform and we'll all die the same. And we'll just sit there and look to our brother left and right. And I don't care if you hang out with the Hispanics on the weekends. I don't care if you don't go to the same club that I go to. I don't care if you worship the same God as I do. All I know is that you got my back and I got yours. Yeah, I mean, for, for me, it, it's, it's kind of... Um... Uh, it, it kind of goes full circle. So, you know, for me at the beginning, it was the kids who did drugs that I was, I was closest with. And, and now that, you know, I'm in a recovery program, that's my new family, you know, my, my non-blood family. That, that's the, the, the people that, that I'm closest with. And, and it, it's very similar to the, we're all there for the same purpose, you know, you for the military. And for me, the, the group is just trying to get another day clean. And there's the tons of nationalities, you know, there, there, there are people that, you know, slept in abandoned buildings and ate out of dumpsters. And, you know, we're, right. we're the, 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 I, I don't want to say, I mean, they, they were, they, they, they were the, the crackheads. They, they were the, the ones that, that you picture as being a crackhead. And right. I, I wasn't, but you know what? Those, we still have a commonality now. We, we now have the, this thing that unifies us. And, you know, that's, that's my new family. I, I don't have to try to fit in because, you know, we're, we're all there for the same purpose. And I, I imagine for you, you know, now that you're out of the military, you know, you've, you've transitioned to, you know, another family, you know, the, the, the tattoo family, you know, your tattoo, you know, community, that might be a, a non-blood family for you. Um, what, What's that world like? Oh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> naturally, once again, just me being uh, a part of a lot of those uh, miscreant crowds, you know, in uh, learning America. I, I guess the good thing is I started tattooing out in Hawaii. I mean, I understood getting tattooed because I got my first tattoo when I was uh, me and my best friend right before I left in the military. Then I got my second tattoo while I was in the military in Texas. And... I, when I started tattooing, I started tattooing in Hawaii. And Hawaii is based on a lot of culture. You know, once again, th thousands of years of culture and tattooing. So I started to learn that I was, I was, I was in Hawaii. Then when I came to America, uh, you start to learn that the American form of tattooing is, is more of an alternative lifestyle. It is a, uh, the guys that say F you to society. You know what I mean? They're the guys that are like, you know, the hell with rules, the hell with regulations. Hell with They're just the alternative crowd, you know? And um, I've understood them since high school. I've understood them since before. So filling in, fitting into this crowd was too easy. I understood their emotions. I understood their pain. I understood why they get their tattoos. The whole sometimes sense of, uh, it's a sense of insecurities. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're trying to find a belonging. And they, they, why am I different? And so when society can be too, sometimes too stiff, you know, um, and and their uh, what they think is their I guess the picture perfect citizen or person you know what I mean society can be stiff sometimes that people run to these alternative lifestyles that they call it here in America 
But then I think that's where I was able to understand the difference from my Polynesian tattooing to coming to America. But I also grew up in that alternative crowd. So they became my family even more because I'm empathetic to them because I understand because I've been in that crowd before. But at the same time, I understand why they connect to tattooing also because tattooing marks you in that group or society. Like we were talking about the Samoans, how they would, um, they become, uh, I guess, like higher citizens, right? You know, like, like I said, the king would allow these guys to get these malofies, these tattoos, and they were a prestigious person in this society where even connecting and being connected to somebody. And and let's say you could say a connection, like let's say you have the uh, golf cart communities. You go into a right. community now, got golf carts everywhere. And if you don't have a golf cart, you're out, right? You're not cool. You're not in. Uh, communities where you move into a certain neighborhood and there happens to be like three quarters of them have a Mercedes Benz. You know what I mean? Well, if you don't have something, there's always going to be something that connects people to the society or the place that you, the group that you want to connect to. Whether it be you where everybody wears polo shirts to work and you wear polo shirts to work. Same thing, but tattooing is just another form of connection. We wear tattoos and then it, we, we find that commonality in life. Like, you have a tattoo. I've got a tattoo. Holy crap, we went through the same thing. Like, you find right. that link to it, stuff like that. And so, just like going, doing other things, you know, where it's the physically having things like the right pairs of shoes, you know. We got sneaker heads out there, guys who want the right pair of shoes, guys who wear Jordans or wear different things. There's always a connection in life that we have. We just happen to find a different connection, which is tattooing. But now that I understand that crowd, I understood that crowd growing up, for me, connecting my understanding of society in Hawaii and how we took tattooing, maybe I can use that and help make the world a better place through that, you know? What about tattoo artists? Is that also its own community? Oh, tattoo artists are the craziest of all. I will tell you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> we are the uh, the uh, hidden behind the scenes. We are Oz. We are you know the 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 instigators of society of this society. The tattoo artists are usually the guys, and and as you get older as a tattoo artist, you start to get kind of more settled. But we're usually the 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 rowdy ones, the ones that push for things because we 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 engage straight into that activity. You know what I mean? And we push people towards that activity. Like, dude, you should get a tattoo. Dude, you know what we should do? We should do this. We're the instigators. And um, so tattoo artists are in their own way. Uh, I, I tell a lot of my friends who get tattoos, someone's like, you have to have a few screws loose to get tattooing. Because it's, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, you're, you're, it's self-harm. You know, it's, 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 it's that, 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 masochist kind of like you just want to you're, you're getting this pain you're doing it to yourself so you have to have a few screws loose to get a tattoo but it's the tattoo artists that have screws missing you know I mean <laughs> we're the ones that are literally that's that's like, funny <laughs> yeah because because we've got to be able to do that but there, we have a certain saying a, a certain level of sanity but then our level of insanity can go deeper than others. You know, it's, it's really crazy. Tattoo artists are, we are the emotional connect. We are the hub of those emotions. And, and we instigate, we push that out to people. Now, as a tattoo artist, I have to be mindful of my energy and how I project it. Because uh, I realize that the tattooing, once again, through society in, in, in the islands, as well as other societies, like tattooing is a major influence in society. Um, which a lot of people don't understand yet. Even Americans haven't fully understood it yet. They're starting to get the understanding. They're catching up, like I told you before. They're catching up to these older 
cultures, these older nations that have had tattoos and understand how their tattoos have been a part of their society where America's just catching up to that. But to be mindful, me, of my energy that I'm passing through that, that knowing that, yeah, if I get with the right people, trust me, I can, I can unscrew all my bolts and uh, I can, we can run the wrong there, crowd quick. Are there different, like, I, I, I can imagine that there are different cliques with, you know, within tattoo artists, you know, we, we do Polynesian, we, we do sailors, we do realism. It, it, do, does one look down upon the other? I imagine there probably is on some level, but it, do you find that or no tattoo, the tattoo world kind of, because you guys are all crazy the guys <laughs> are, are your family i think for us we, we we have a level of respect for each other as tattoo artists and stuff like that but there's always going to be a sense of what we call now in hawaii we call elitism where always people who think that my style is better than yours or my style is more difficult than yours so it makes me better than you you know I mean I, it sucks because a, a, good, a good example of this is a lot of people tend to knock on the traditional American style of tattooing. A lot of people knock on it. They're like, oh, those guys don't know how to draw. Those guys, ah, oh, it's a lot of like cartoony American stuff, you know, traditional good, good right. American stuff. But a lot of other, let's say guys who are realism artists or some guys who are, are extreme like color artists or other, they do other things, geometric stuff. They look at the traditional tattooing as not being as technical as others, but as a tattoo artist myself, like that's one of the most technical styles because simplicity is uh is always harder because they are focusing on less things so you have more attention to certain things like your line work it has to be very straight um your, your coloring has to be exact because there isn't a lot going on in design to it but there's in the end there's there's levels of that elitism once again it goes on in all forms of society but uh they, we have it in tattooing but i think we all understand as being tattoo artists, that who we are and what we do, we understand and elate to our daily struggles and everything like that. So I think as tattoo artists, period, we'll all give each other the respect straight from the straight from the beginning. That that that's good. I mean, it, it's good that you know the differences don't divide you as much. You know that that that's that's what a family is. You know, acknowledging the, the differences and and still focusing on the similarities and, and, you know, kind of tying it together, you know, tattoos have, have added, uh, uh, for me, have added an aesthetic, you know, added this visual characteristic that, you know, helps me take away from the insecurities. You know, people might see my tattoos instead of the things that I, I've been concerned about and it gives me entrance you know, into a new group and, and a new family, like, like you said. And, you know, I, to be honest, I have, uh, I, I owe you for a lot of that. You've, you've, you've helped me get, get there. And I, I, I love you for that, man. And, you know, as we, we say on these episodes, much love. Yes. Much love. That's what it is. It's helping people get to that 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 exchange, that sharing of. I I think it's awesome, brother. It's, it's nothing but. And, and I think even those people who act that different ways, once again, different parts of society. These are people who just live with their own, as we talked from the beginning of this this episode, their own insecurities, you know. And sometimes people will, will reflect anger towards somebody who's different or whatever because they feel 
different in their insecurities about others, whether they fear somebody else and what they're capable of or what they do or the differences and stuff like that. I think if this world, we could just learn to deal with our insecurities and find a family that has a positive, um, a positive impact or direction, like you're saying for your, your group that you're with, when everybody comes together for a positive purpose that we can learn to push aside differences and actually come together and, and make that better and to understand each other versus to uh, to compare each other, you know? Yeah, man. And I, I think that, that that's, that's what we want to bring. We, we want to bring this, this sense of family and include others. And, and you know, that, that's what the much loved family is about. It's a, a, a yeah. family of of love and you know it's it's what we want to 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 create to foster is this this family you know it's it's a channel it's a, a lifestyle it's it's a love so i i love you man yes love you too brother always man thank you so much and, and that direction that we're going through to help this world Help the people and everything, once again, bringing all the different walks of life and all of us together for a, a common cause, like like what's been going on lately, just that movement towards getting society, making everybody better and making the world a better place, uh, more acceptable and where we can all come out of our insecurities and just love each other more, man. Yes, much love, much love, brother. All right. Thank you so much. Yeah. Much that love, everybody. Good.